Welcome to The Rational Egoist. I'm your host, Michael Leibowitz. I recently read an article that moved me because it's been such an important part of my life, it, it, the, the subject matter of the article, and that was hope. I, I've, hope got me through a lot of tough times while incarcerated and even since then. So I decided to have the article's author on. She is a psychotherapist who specializes in psychosis, mood disorders, and young adult mental health. She's also the author of the Psychosis and Mental Health Recovery Workbook, Activities for Young Adults from ACT, DBT, and Recovery-Oriented CBT. Jennifer Gerlach, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Before we get into the subject matter of hope, I, I was uh, hoping that you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your own struggles with mental health. Sure. So before I went into the mental health field myself, uh, working, you know, I was I was a teenager. I went through some stuff. Um, I found that my own aspirations about life dipped quite a bit after my first hospitalization being given some diagnoses. Um, it was a slow climb back up to thinking yes you can do things Jen yes if you want to go to college you can do that and when I got there I wanted to give a message to other uh, young adults and teenagers that if you have something significant happen in your life like a mental health diagnosis that it doesn't have to be the end you know that you can still have aspirations and move forward toward things and you were actually told that you would have to spend your life on disability right? That was their yeah, prognosis was, for you. I was encouraged to apply for disability. You know, I got, got to an age where um, a lot of people my age were being going on college tours and things like that. And that was sort of talked to me about as well, that um, disability was certainly discussed. Uh, you know, I was in a therapeutic school full-time when I graduated high school. And so I think that my own aspirations, my own thoughts to what I could could do were a little bit different than the adults in my life. And uh, fortunately, my own aspirations turned out to be a little more close to the truth, you know, what, what I believed I could do. But it was it was quite scary, you know, thinking, you know, up to a certain age, you know, having all these ideas, having all the support, and then you hit a wall. And it's this diagnosis is such a big part of your life. Then. Thank you. To go, as the audience can see, I, I'm babysitting for my girlfriend's four-year-old. He's a bit of a ham for the camera, so... He may keep popping in, although I'm I'm try, trying to get him not to. So you went from being having mental health issues to being in being told that you would have to be on disability to being a psychotherapist. What led you to being a psychotherapist, and when did you decide that that was the right right road for you? Yeah, so I was kind of lucky, you know, going to therapeutic school. I did get to skip a grade, so I finished high school at age 17, and I just went to college, and, you know, after college, I went to grad school, and then after grad school, I got my license, and, you know, the whole time, I sought out people who were supportive, uh, people in the mental health recovery movement. Um, I found a really good therapist in college who was supportive of me as well, and I just kept going at it. Do you find that your own struggles help you when counseling others? Absolutely. You know, I think that when you've experienced something yourself, it puts you in a much 
better way to understand what it might be like. You don't know the person's exact experience because everybody's experience is a little different. But when you've been through something like a mental health challenge that may not be common or like a hospitalization that gives you a space to know, okay, like I know what it's like to not be able to leave this place or I know what it's like to feel so down that you're not sure you want to get up the next morning. And that's really been, been helpful to me. So when you use the word hope, what do you mean? What does hope mean to you? Yeah. So I think of hope as any belief that there can be a better future. And that can be a long-term hope, like finishing school or, you know, if somebody doesn't have their, their children in their life currently reconnected with their kids. But it can also be a short-term hope, like being able to go outside and enjoy the multicolor of the leaf or having a good conversation with somebody later in the day. But anything that keeps you going or, or kind of holds, holds you on. Would you say that hope is beyond just a desire and includes an element of expectations? In other words, like I might want to be a multimillionaire mm -hmm. and that would be a desire. But if I don't have any expectation that I could possibly achieve it, that wouldn't really be hope, right? Hope has to have a sense that what you're hoping for can actually happen. Yeah, I think hope is ideally realistic uh, and shouldn't hinge on expectations that are held too closely. So for example, if I had one hope and find out that's not realistic, I'm, I'm at a precarious place, right? Because then I can lose all hope versus if I have a value that I'm moving toward and hopes related to that value, then I'm in a little bit better place. So for a few example, if you had a dream of becoming a multimillionaire and the reason you wanted to become a multimillionaire is because you value being able to do what you want. You value self-determination. Okay, that's fine to have that. Even if you think that that's not realistic, that's fine to have that as a dream. But you might move toward other ways of freedom each day. And that's hope, even if you never accomplished that dream. What are the consequences for people who live without hope? Yeah. You know, I have met people who've lost hope and it can be a really scary thing. You know, once we lose hope, some people withdraw and sort of let go and they stop trying. Um, other people will do things that they never would have done otherwise, you know. Um, unfortunately, hopelessness is one of the, the best predictors of suicide. You know, somebody thinks that there's no meaning there's no reason there's no hope left and that's difficult it's you know it's interesting to me that you mentioned suicide because my mother committed suicide and I, in looking at her situation my mother was a drug addict she had been she was a heroin addict and she had been clean off of heroin for several years and she was on the methadone program and after a while, she ended up getting thrown off the methadone program because she had prescription antidepressants that she wasn't supposed to have. And once mm -hmm. she got thrown off the methadone clinic and she tried to get on another methadone clinic and they wouldn't take her. And then she tried to get a prescription for Suboxone and she couldn't get it. And her life was just like, I think she foresaw going back to having to steal to support a habit, maybe living on the streets, you know, not having money. 
And that's what it was. It was just hopelessness. And I think that's ultimately what led her to commit suicide. Is that a, a typical example of what you're talking about? Wow, what an experience for your mother. I, I think that can be, you know, when so many things are pushed away or so many doors are closed and a person's not able to see things getting better, not able to see a light, that can certainly lead to a very dark place. So had my mother had some hope or people that do have hope, how does it help with psychological disturbances? Like say you have somebody that has uh, bipolar disorder or major depressive disorder. How can hope help to overcome that? Yeah, so I think hope is really positively linked with health behaviors of any kind and when you're living with something like major depression or bipolar disorder, it takes a lot to recover. It's not just medication for most people. And it's not even just therapy and medication for most people. It's a lot of work. And so a belief that there can be a day that I'm not going to feel this way anymore. Or if a person's relationships have been impacted by the condition, belief that there could be a day that my relationships improve or there could be even today that I have a conversation that's a positive sort of thing for me or still holding on to certain values in life. That's extremely important for recovery. You know, from the day that I set forth it, uh, in the prison system, I was 21 years old and I was sentenced to 33 years in prison. And I, this isn't unique to me, but for a lot of guys, it's the hope of one day being free that kind of gets one through and, and prevents from falling into just a deep, deep depression. Because if, if you just think my life is over and I'm going to be stuck in this forever, it can become overwhelming and, and I, you know, a person can become downright despondent. So in that regard, hope has been such an important part of my life because I just always held on to the idea that I'm going to get out of prison. I'm going to have a life for myself. And interestingly, you know, I've been out of prison less than a year. I have a podcast now. I have a girlfriend that I'm in love with. I'm babysitting her son, even though he's not listening to me right now, <laughs> but he's still an absolutely beautiful little boy And life is good. And I would have never been able to have reached this point where life is good. Had I not held on to hope. Have you seen a lot of instances like that in your experience as a as a therapist? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've seen people achieve all kinds of dreams, you know, reconnect with people they thought they weren't going to reconnect with. Um, and yeah, it's the person's hope and there's also their willingness to keep moving toward that value that makes the difference. It's really remarkable to me how resilient people can be and um, how people can grow even after something that can threaten their sense of hope. Or once somebody's lost hope and they've found it again, that's especially powerful too, because once you've lost it, you've got it again. It's, it's especially precious. You mentioned the word resilient. And a lot of people have said to me, because I, I spent 25 years in prison, and a lot of people say, I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. And I tell them, you'd be surprised what you can do because human beings in general are far more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. The day that I was headed to prison and I knew it was going to be for a long time. I didn't know how long, but I knew it was going to be considerable. 
And I said to my mother, she was in the passenger seat. I said, I can't take this. I just can't take it. And my mother said to me, honey, you can take anything. And at the time I thought she was wrong, but in retrospect, she was right. I could take it. And I've been able to take far more in life than I ever would have thought I could take. And that's due to this resilience. And I guess that it's just for the most part, part of the human condition that we're capable of so much more. And that's why hope is a realistic thing. It's not like you're, you're Pollyanna in, in thinking that, Oh, I want this, or I think I can get this. It's the fact, like you said, everybody was against you when they thought you couldn't make it, you couldn't do the things, you couldn't reach your aspirations, but you held on to hope and you were able to do it. But for those who are kind of despondent or without hope, what are, or even for those that have hope but want to increase it, what are some strategies that can be employed to gain hope or to increase hope? Yeah, so I think seeking out supportive people, if there are people in your life who you can enjoy time with or who do want to hear about your values or your aspirations, I think that's very meaningful, having those connections. Um, writing down long-term goals and dreams, but not getting so attached. So I think it's good to keep sight of those dreams. But if we look at something that's going to take many, many years to accomplish as our only hope, that could be quite a bit more challenging than having something, okay, today I can move toward that value, that, that reason that I even want to achieve that dream today by doing the small step, I think that can help. And then also knowing that even if something happens where that long-term dream gets cut off, um, say that you wanna reconnect with a loved one and that loved one dies and you know that, you know, banning certain spiritual practices, you it may not be realistic to, to repair that relationship you can still find other things to move forward to. Or maybe why did you want to reconnect with that person? How can you celebrate their life now? But having hope be a flexible thing rather than fixed, I think that can really be helpful. I think you might be on mute, sir. Sorry. See, I had to put him on or put her on mute because you won't calm down. Good boy. So I used to do, you mentioned thought reports. I used to do thought reports on a daily basis. And I did them based on the CBT model with the, the, the thought distortions, you know, uh, magnification, minimization, uh, overgeneralization. And what I realized about a, about a year into it, I looked back over my thought reports and most of the stuff that I worried about never transpired. I was blowing stuff so out of proportion that it was causing me so much undue stress. But by writing it down and being able to look over it later, I was able to really see just how distorted my thinking was. And the one thing in my life that I never thought I'd be able to get over, from a kid, I always had a fear that my mother would die. My mother overdosed when I was a kid uh, a few times, and I always had this fear that she would die. And I thought, I will never be able to take it if my mother died. But I realized when she did, 
that I did take it. I could take it. I could move on with my life. It, it did, The world didn't come to an end. And so I guess it's just more evidence for me that hope is consistent with reality, with the nature of things. The world in general, at least for those of us in developed countries, the world is a pretty good place and it, it, it warrants hope. And now that doesn't mean bad things don't happen. It doesn't mean... That, you know, I can't get go outside today and get hit by a car and end up paralyzed. Plenty of bad things happen to, many, to plenty of people. But I think in general, in, in most instances, hope is justified by just by the way things are. Would you say that that's true? Is hope realistic? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that hope is realistic, honestly, for anybody. Because if you look across cultures, the things that tend to be valued most are relational and in most every culture that's that's something people can access is relationships either with self others connection kindness small things and i think regardless of your circumstance that can be hoped for even if you are in a space of significant isolation having a hope that someday that can end that you can reconnect with others or you know, making meaning of other aspects of meaning like creativity or curiosity. I think that's pretty, pretty ubiquitous. So we call access that. And yes, of course, hope doesn't mean that life is not traumatic or that people are not going to experience awful things, unfortunately. You know, I, I walk around uh, Target sometimes on my breaks or whatever, and I, I see people. I can just imagine, I wonder how many people in the store have lost somebody in the last year, how many of the people in the store are living with cancer or another serious illness, like how many people here have been in a war zone, because we, we do live near a military base, and, you know, I, when I go through all of that list, it's like probably, there's probably no one that hasn't been touched by anything, you know, it's it's very ubiquitous, but trauma doesn't mean that hope is lost or has to be lost. What are some strategies that people can use? Like what can people do to build hope? Sure. So I think it's really helpful to clarify your values. And if you don't know what your values are, that's okay. A lot of us don't take time to think about that explicitly. It's not uh, in school. It'd be nice if they dedicated some of that time that they spend teaching you how to play the recorder and, to do algebra to like just even think about like why anything matters to begin with um but clarifying what's important to you I, I think that's a really good place to start and then what steps you can take toward that every day so for example if something important to me is kindness you know one small step I could take might be giving somebody a smile writing a letter of appreciation to somebody um you know doing something that I hope will make somebody else smile little bitty steps toward that value that 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 gives you hope it just occurred to me i think i already asked that question but that's okay it's it warranted repeating because i think people can use as many strategies as they can possibly have and i think it's important like you said to remember the good things in life and, and to you know look at what we have like when i look at this little guy who won't be quiet for me it really, it like, it just shows me that the future is bright. Uh, hope is warranted. I, I've got so much to live for. I mean, he's such a joy 
Mm-hmm. Like I never in all my time in prison thought that I would be favored to to have, you know, such a kid in my life that would really just make me feel good. And But it does, it, it happens. And so I think that's great is just to hold on and keep it, keep in mind the good things that we do have and the good things that we, we want to have. So what, what role has hope and what role does hope continue to play in your life? Going back to your struggles as a teenager and right on to today, what role has hope played and continued to play? Yeah. So um, that that is something that I, I do think that I was lucky in that, you know, I was a kid that spent a lot of time thinking about what mattered to me. And I wouldn't say everybody, I wouldn't say everybody was against me. There were certainly people in my life who were encouraging. I had a neighbor who was very encouraging. I had an uncle who was very encouraging. Um, at times, my mom could be encouraging as well. But clarifying those things that were important to me, knowing that I could take small steps, you know, seeing those steps come together. Today, I, I spend a lot of time, you know, before a conversation, I think about what my intentions are for that conversation. Or, you know, I see people in a lot of pain. You know, I'm a therapist, right? Like I get to see people who share with me sacred things that are extremely painful for them. And they leave here and I will, you know, just, take a moment, you know, a few seconds, just sending well wishes to them in my mind of like, well, I hope that they're find health and happiness. And, you know, sometimes there's customized based on a person's situation. Um, I think those are some of the big things, you know, and then just trying to be in the moment. I think that worries have a way of time traveling us, you know, to these alternate universes where everything's horrible. And uh, we could spend a lot of time there if we allow ourselves to. Sometimes it's really hard not to worry. But the reality is that each day, all you really have to worry about is today. You know, we, you can have goals and you can have plans and you can set aside sometimes part of the day to work on those. But, you know, in any given moment, most of the time, all that we have to worry about is that. And so that really helps me as well, of looking for the small, meaningful things, you know, that I can experience or you know, even have today, even if tomorrow isn't promised, but today can be meaningful. I find you to be an absolute inspiration. I I love stories of people who have overcome struggles and just continue to strive and thrive. And from all appearances, that's, that's what you do. And I, I think it's wonderful. So what currently are you doing? I mean, I know you write, for, you know, some uh, for a blog, I think, for Psychology Today. Yeah. Very good articles. Well, what else do you do? Yeah, so I'm a psychotherapist, you know, a private practice, true story counseling down here in Southern Illinois. Um, I finished a book earlier this year, a workbook for young adults living with mental health challenges, including psychosis. Um, I have a partner who's just a wonderful person um, who's also a very introverted person and would not want me to talk very much about him, but we'll just leave it up. He's a wonderful person. Um, relationships are important to me. Yeah. That's great. Okay. So where can people find you? If it, I mean, I know I said psychology today, but do you have a, a website or, or something where the audience can go to to read what you've written or, or where can they find your book? Yeah, yeah. So the book's on Amazon. That's probably the easiest way to get it. There's um, other ways to get it, like Barnes & Noble website or Target website. 
uh, as far as getting a hold of me, you know, um, True Story Counseling, so T-R-U-E-S-T-O-R-Y and counseling, C-O-U-N-S-E-L-I-N-G.com. That's my website. Welcome to fill out the form. I, I always reply to those um, or send an email or give me a call. I welcome communication. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. I, I really appreciate it. And yeah, hopefully you, you hopefully you've given some people some hope. I, I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Vincenzo, say goodbye to the audience. Say bye, audience. Bye, guys. <laughs> Good boy. Thank you. Thank boy. you for having me on here. And you Thank know, it's really you so fantastic much. hearing your story as well. And Thank you know, you. I, I wish well for you as Thank you. For now, this is the Rational Egoist. I'm Michael Leibowitz signing out. Till next time. <laughs>